You are listening to Women's Running Stories, and this is a race report about the 2024 Olympic Trials Marathon. An athlete who will be featured to talk about how it all went down is top 10 finisher Emily Durgan. Hi, my name is Emily Durgan, and I am a professional distance runner for Adidas. I live out in Flagstaff, Arizona. Yes, this episode does feature Emily Durgan's story of how everything played out for her at arguably the most anticipated U.S. marathon in the past four years, the 2024 USATF Olympic Trials Marathon, which took place on February 3rd in Orlando, Florida. But before we hear more from Emily, I do want to welcome you to Women's Running Stories, the podcast where exceptional women runners tell inspirational stories about their running experiences. I am Cherie Louise Turner. I am your host and producer. And this podcast is a proud member of the Evergreen Network of Podcasts. This is, in fact, one of our race report episodes. And just like last year, I will be featuring a race report for each one of the USATF road circuit races. Getting the inside scoop about how it all went down from one of the top 10 finishers. And because a race is never just about what happens on race day, you'll also get to know a little bit more about each of these runners and how the race figures in to their larger running story. The first race of the season was the USATF Cross Country National Championships. And for that race report, I featured young professional runner Katie Camarena telling the story of her terrific performance, and I will link to that in the show notes. A little bit more about this series, if you're not familiar with the running circuit, is that these races happen all throughout the United States all year long, and each race serves as a national championship for the distance or the type of race that is being run. Also, at each one of these races, runners earn cash prizes and they earn points based on where they finish. The points go to the series overall, which is determined at the end of the year. And this year, the series will finish off once again in November at the 5K National Championships, which will happen in New York City as part of the New York City Marathon Weekend of Events. Now, back to the Olympic Trials Marathon. Of course, this race stands alone in the race circuit in one huge way. In addition to being able to earn your stars and stripes, as well as cash prizes and series points, athletes have a chance to become members of the team that will represent the U.S. at the Olympics. And the rules for this are really simple. The top three across the line are automatic selections for the Olympic team, and fourth place is the alternate. And every single woman who was lining up for the trials was an elite-level distance runner. In order to qualify for the Olympic trials, each runner had to have run either a 337 marathon or faster or a 112 half marathon or faster. So the 149 women who lined up in Florida were the best of the best in the United States, and everyone was bringing their A-game, including Emily Durgan. Emily is relatively new to the marathon, but it was clear that she was a runner to watch going into the trials. 
In the half marathon distance, she had clocked a stunning one hour, seven minute, 54 second finish at the 2022 Houston Half Marathon. Her first go at the marathon, however, was not quite as spectacular. She lined up for the 2022 New York City Marathon, and she did not finish. Her second go, however, was a totally different story. She clocked a terrific two-hour, 26-minute time at the 2023 Toronto Waterfront Marathon. In addition, Durgan has valuable experience racing at these national events, and she has been on the podium many times. Said another way, she knows her competition, and she knows how to race, and she isn't afraid to put herself in the mix. It's also worth noting that in the marathon, there are often surprises. So while experience and past results are indicators of who might come out on top, there is no way to predict how the race will shake out on the day. This race showed that very clearly, and this is why there were many women lining up who knew they had a legitimate shot at becoming an Olympian, because you never know what will happen. No matter how many times you've done it before, 26.2 miles is always a long way to go. A few quick notes before we dive in. The Orlando, Florida course was a loop course. It featured one 2.2-mile loop to start things off, followed by three 8-mile loops. And Emily mentions several runners by first name, so I'm just going to quickly clarify who she's talking about. Jessa is Jessa Hansen, who is an up-and-coming young professional runner and was making her marathon debut at the trials. Sarah and Betsy are Sarah Hall and Betsy Sena, both of whom are experienced professional marathoners who were high on many people's lists of potential Olympians. Also mentioned was Alephine, who is Alephine Tillemuk, winner of the 2020 Olympic Trials Marathon, who unfortunately came into this race with an injury. There's also Carolyn, who is Carolyn Rotich, another seasoned pro and past winner of the Boston Marathon. And finally, she mentions Fiona, who is Fiona O'Keefe, and Dakota, who is Dakota Lindworm. And I'll talk a little bit more about those two runners toward the end of the episode. All right, now let's get to it. Let's hear how the 2024 Olympic Trials Marathon played out for top professional runner Emily Durgan. Here to tell the story is Emily. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, this was actually my first ever, um, marathon Olympic trials. So kind of, uh, not really sure what to expect. I had done the track trials back in 2021 and the track is very intense. I've always felt this way since college, you know, in the holding room, everyone's very quiet. No one's joking around. It's just like a much more serious vibe than the road racing community. And I've had a lot of competitors actually agree with me on this. So it was funny. It was like the dinner before the night before in the hotel, kind of when we all got settled there, um, Steph Bruce came and sat down the same table I was at. And of course she's been to multiple Olympic trials. And she, uh, asked me, she said, you know, is this what you expected the trials to be like? And I was like, honestly, no, it's a lot more laid back and 
relaxed than I expected. So my only other experience with a marathon, so I, I had New York, so that was my one major. And that was, you know, the majors are very intense. There's a lot going on. Everyone is doing interviews and uh, all kinds of stuff. Whereas the trials is, yeah, it's more, everyone there is being treated the same. So there's no big names that are getting interviewed and all this, and there's no appearance fees. So it's more just like, all 150 athletes that qualified for the race are all treated the same, which I thought was really cool. And it took a lot of pressure off. So the night before we had our, yeah, we had the technical meeting and then the dinner. So again, just super low key and then went back to my room. And obviously the night before any race, it doesn't matter if it's like a local town 5k or the Olympic trials, I never sleep very well. Just, you know, um, excited energy. So yeah, but I, I was extremely confident going into this race. I had had a great build. I felt like I was very prepared and um, the goal was to put myself in the race. And again, this was only going to be my second marathon. This It was my third marathon build, technically including New York. But yeah, I I still felt even with it only being my second marathon, I I was confident that I could race with the front group. All right, so I want to jump in here because this element of confidence is such a key factor when it comes to racing, and especially racing in events where there is so much on the line. And this confidence, it was something that had struck me about Emily Durgan because she does know how to come to the line with rock-solid certainty in her abilities. So I wanted to know more about how she had cultivated this because this is not a skill that just happens. And in fact, it's something Emily has worked on, especially because she did not enter the professional ranks coming off of a stellar collegiate career. She was not a shining star in the NCAA championship events like many runners entering the professional field often are. Gaining confidence as a professional runner has taken some time. And a little note here, when Emily says that she moved out here, she means moving to Flagstaff, Arizona, which is where a lot of top professional runners live and train. Yeah, I think the the biggest shift was probably like uh, probably when I moved out here in like 2019 to like 2020. I think that when I first was in college, coming out of college, you know, I had never made it to NCAAs. I wasn't All-American. I just would believe that because I didn't do those things, I wasn't as good as the people I was running against. And this is like a big thing that even now that I'm like almost 30 that like – you'll see highlighted, oh, she never made NCAAs. Like can like there was actually one thing that came out. I got a shout out that like I was like someone to watch to make the team. And they did this for everyone. It, it was kind of funny. So it's like, oh, ha- why why will Emily make the team? Oh, she's very competitive on the road. She finishes top three. Why won't she? Well, the reason I was I wouldn't make the team is because I never was like good in the NCAA. I'm like, <laughs> that just is so that's like unreal. It just, I don't know, like that did kind of bother me because that is how I used to think when I was younger. And that's why like, I loved seeing Dakota make that team because she was very similar to an athlete like me in college. And it goes to show these athletes that sometimes it takes time, you know, to develop physically and also mentally. So yeah, I think that was kind of the biggest thing was not being afraid to compete with these athletes that had done and achieved 
a lot of great things and had run a lot faster than me. And it just took like a few races of me putting myself like in the race that it just started to to click um, mentally instead of being like, oh, one, two, three, four, five have all run faster than you. So you should probably stay with like the second group. And that was like something that was like really bad to to mentally like tell myself. Yeah, just took years of of racing in these pro events and being comfortable, being up with the top women. And yeah, it wasn't like my first year out of college. I was like, oh yeah, like I'm so cool running next to Sarah Hall. Like this is like I I'm confident for this. Like, no, no, no. It was definitely years and years of of practice and and work and that I've slowly, you know, gotten to this point that I'm like, okay, like you can compete with everyone in this race. But confidence just like physical training, is always a work in progress. Yeah, and that's something that, you know, it kind of ebbs and flows. Um, In the sport, you know, you have like an injury and then a setback in training, and then obviously you don't feel as fit. So like, oh, maybe your confidence isn't as high. So yeah, it's also you have to be a little bit of like a realist. Like obviously um, to an extent, like how your training is going, like how your energy levels are, how you're feeling, like that does – help with the mindset, you know, like, so that is one thing. It's not like you do have to put in the work and feel good to like also have that like self belief. So yeah, I think it comes together. It's not just, you can't just be like, oh, I am going to make the Olympic team, but then, okay, but you haven't trained for six weeks. Like, so I think that, yeah, you, you gotta, it's, it's, it's a little bit of both. I think the confidence does come from believing in what you're doing. And that doesn't mean that you're crushing crazy workouts and all that. It just means that like you are very confident in the training that you are doing because there also has been times in my life that, you know, maybe I was training exactly how I am now, no faster, no more, but I wasn't confident in it. So then the results didn't show. Right. There is a big difference between training and racing. You can be the most fit, best-trained athlete on the line, but then you also have to execute the race well on the day. And that takes a strong mental game, which in Emily's case isn't just a result of race experience. She's worked at this part of her preparation very directly. I have worked with, um, like I have talked with sports psychologists and just, you know, different therapists in general over the years, honestly, since I've been in high school. So, you know, there are, or even coaches, past peers. So there's just little things that I've taken from a variety of different sources. And they're kind of just in my mental bank that I, I use probably, you know, subconsciously leading into these types of races. But something that I do like to to do is is visualize the race. And I think a lot of athletes do this, but you know, like visualize the race, visualize like how you're gonna feel and visualize yourself like coming into that finish line. Yeah. So that was kind of quite emotional because when I was going into that finish line, I remember thinking like this is not what we visualized, but we're here. <laughs> we're here. So yeah. Yeah, in just a minute here, you'll hear all about how Emily's race finish didn't quite go the way she'd envisioned it. But whatever the outcome, going into the race with this unshakable confidence was key 
to Emily giving herself the best chance of having a great day. And one central piece of that confidence is perhaps the most challenging to foster, and that is belief. It's kind of this like wild thing that my coach and I have also talked about. It's kind of like you have to be the one that believes that you're capable of it. You know, as much as people tell you until they're blue in the face, like, oh, you're going to be an Olympian. You can do great things. If you don't believe it yourself, then, you know, you're never going to do it. So that's something that, I mean, I don't, maybe sports psychologists won't agree with me there, but I, I do personally believe you either have it or you don't. And fortunately enough, I, I just do think I am an athlete that, that has it. Sometimes it does go away and I have to tap into it a little bit more. But with that being said, I, I just think that, yeah, New York was a little bit different. It was, it was something I had never done before. I had everyone around me telling me how great I was going to be at the marathon, how this was my event. But I didn't, not that I didn't believe it yet, but I hadn't been able to see it through on my own. And I think I was just a little bit like emotionally exhausted. I had kind of gone away from excitement and it can kind of turned into more of fear. And I think that that can happen to a lot of athletes is when, yeah, when you're feeling fearful and you're worried of failure and all that, it's really hard to perform under those feelings. Whereas if you can turn it in your mind and make it like exciting and all that, then yeah, that's when you're going to perform your best. But going into New York, I was just doubt, fearful, all those things versus the trials. It was excitement and, you know, what if, like all that. So I think that that is the biggest difference with New York and then coming to the Olympic trials is I truly believed I was capable of being top three in the race. Yeah, it sounds simple, but it's like if if you don't believe it, then it's never going to happen. So Emily Durgan showed up to Orlando well-trained, full of excited energy, confidence, and belief in her ability to throw down on race day. And after her fitful night of sleep, the big day had finally arrived. We went down and got breakfast, and then I met my friend from Flagstaff, Jessa, in her room to do our little final. I think she had, like, some special, like, hair gel that I put in my ponytail. So I uh, did that, and then we went down and, and met my coach and, and got on the bus. And, yeah, the whole vibe of the morning was very calm, very relaxed feeling. It's kind of wild because you're kind of looking around like, yeah, like I um, uh, so Jess Ton, she's from Arizona and I had trained with her back like four years ago when she was up in Flagstaff and I hadn't seen her forever. And I on the start line, I was like, hey, girl, like this is awesome that you're here. And just like little things like that, you know, like Sarah Hall and Elphine and just we have like this whole Flagstaff community. So it's just like I see these people every single day and then we're all at the start line and, and we kind of all know each other's been working hard. So, yeah, I think it's just but like I said, there it was a very like calm energy and at the start line they announced a few people and the men had already taken off. So, so yeah, I, I think that that's something um, I've kind of over the years watched certain athletes like a Des Linden or even like an Emma Bates. They um, 
if you watch like before like Chicago or Boston starts, they're sitting on the side of the road, just like, you know, they're, we're about to be on our feet for over two hours. So I've, I've watched them over the past years do that. And so I actually like sat down um, when we were waiting for the men to start. And uh, again, a lot of athletes also kind of sat down, just kind of trying to be as calm as possible, which is so wild because, you know, like a road 10K or a track 5K, like you're like smacking your legs, doing high knees, tr- trying to get like super amped. Whereas um, in a marathon, you're almost trying to, to start that first mile as relaxed and calm as possible. Yeah, so the gun goes off and it was it it, it was fast from the start. Uh, Kira D'Amato, you know, within the first eight hundred meters, uh, she she went. I mean, our first mile wasn't. I don't. I would have to look, but it wasn't. It wasn't jogging. You know, there's some trials where their first mile they'll run like a six thirty, and like I knew that this race was going to be fast because within the half mile, like we were moving, like we weren't running, you know, uh, like a easy run pace. And then it just kept getting quicker into mile two. And um, yeah, and honestly, I don't even know. It was it was pretty quick on probably within the first because the first loop we did was almost three miles within the first three miles. I think we were already down to a group of like 10 to 15 women which is pretty crazy because, you know, some trials you'll have, like, that's what I was expect. I was kind of expecting one of two things. I was like, it's either going to go out really slow and we're going to have like 80 women there, or it's going to go out in a pace that 15 to 20 women will, will go after. And, and that's kind of what it ended up being. And honestly, that's kind of the type of race I was actually looking forward to because I do have a lot of confidence and just running hard from the start. I like when it kind of separates quickly. And yeah, so that was really exciting to kind of be just like going early. And with that being said, I was trying to like conserve energy. I didn't want to be the one pushing the pace. And I kind of felt that there was enough people wanting to make it honest enough. So I was kind of just trying to, I don't know, I'm, I, my people have watched the race and they say it almost looks like I was like mirroring like what Emily Sisson did. And that's because she's just an athlete that I've looked up to for so long and I've raced her a ton. And I knew going into this race, like Emily was going to do everything she could to make the team. So I just thought, okay, well, if I can kind of do what Emily's doing, I think this will set me up well. So when Emily kind of like pulled back and went behind in the group, I would kind of follow her and go behind. And then there was a couple times that like we were kind of in the front. So yeah, it was kind of like the, that first 70-ish minutes of, of the race. It was just kind of like that. There was change in who was leading, change in who sat back. And I honestly felt confident and comfortable through that entire first half of the race. I've talked to some athletes that ended up having to drop out and they said that they started to feel hot within, you know, that like around mile 14. So that was, yeah, before we were even done the second loop, there was some athletes that were saying like they were already overheated. They knew their body was done and they knew that, you know, that was it. For me, I still felt very good through the two loops. So around mile 16, I was still feeling great. Um, I think Fiona might've made like a big surge around like 18 and that kind of strung the group out. 
And then I'd say somewhere between like 19 and 20 is must have been where my body kind of hit that max temperature. Cause that's when in my mind I was like, okay, I think I can still maintain this effort. I knew Fiona had gone. I knew Emily Sisson had tried to go after her. And I, I was confident that that those two would be gone, but then three, four and five, like I was running with, I think it was, we had um, Betsy, uh, Sarah and I at that point were together. And that was like almost mile 19. And in my mind, I thought, okay, it's just going to be the three of us. Like, don't pick it up too much. And maybe, you know, we can like, I could still get this. And then I could tell that all three of us were struggling and we were slowing down. And I heard people coming behind us. And I was like, oh, shit, this is there's more people coming. And that is when yeah, Dakota went by us. And um Caroline. Yes. So Dakota and Caroline came by us. And that's when I when I knew, oh my, like I'm hurting. I know that they haven't picked it up. We're just like, I'm struggling. So yeah, right there, that was kind of a, a hard moment because I knew now there was more people that I'd be fighting with for that third spot. And I could tell when Dakota went by that she was definitely feeling a lot better than me, Sarah and Betsy, because I had run with the, with the two of them. I knew that we kind of were all in that hurt locker um, in the moment. So yeah, so that was kind of around mile 2021. And then soon after uh, I saw Betsy walk over and lay in the grass (laughs) and I was like, that looks so nice, but okay. And, And then I was like, okay. So, so then I think at that point I was still in, I don't know, three, four, five. Yeah. I was still probably in like fifth or sixth place at that point. So I was like, all right, yeah, you're hurting, but you're still moving. You really haven't, I, I I hadn't completely died. I'm like, I didn't feel like I needed to drop out. I was like, there's still, you know, you don't know what's going to happen in front of you. Well, that shortly changed around miles like 23 is when I felt my body s- slowly shutting down. And then it was to the point where I was like, oh my goodness, am I going to finish Honestly, the last few miles, it was just seeing so many people that I knew lined on the streets from mile 23 to 25. It was like, oh gosh. And and you could tell they all knew I was dying. So like Mary Kate, who uh, works for the BIA Boston Marathon, she was, you look so great. Emily, keep going. And I probably saw her at like, Oh, that probably was around like 24. And then like almost 25, um, I was sponsored by Under Armour. Uh, previously. And so a bunch of like the old Under Armour employees, um, this one woman, Hannah, who I used to work directly with, like I, she was screaming and yelling for me and it was just like crazy, all this support. And then, you know, another half mile later was my coach's wife and then my coach. And it was just, I, I honestly think if, if that crowd wasn't there, I don't know if I would have made it to the finish line in the last, I don't even know, mile is when a lot of people passed me because I think I stayed in like six for a while. But then, yeah, I just slowly, slowly got caught by people. But 
at that point, it to me was like, okay, like you can get through this, like just finish the race. And then I saw my coach with about a mile to go. And that's when I, my, I could barely pick my legs up and I was about to round the corner and have 800 to go. And I saw the finish line. And in my head, I was like, if you try to move your legs any quicker, you're going to collapse. And it was just I have never experienced anything like this in the world, but I, yeah, I, I was convincing myself. I was like, okay, 800 to go, 600 to go. Cause they had the markers every 200. You're just like, you can do this like just one more minute. And I had a couple college friends that were there watching me and I, they were extremely emotional seeing me finish because they could just tell. And my one friend said, it looked like I had like ankle weights just like strapped to my legs and like every single muscle in my leg was like bulging out and that's like and that's what I felt like it just felt like I was just being like pulled down into the ground and I couldn't lift my legs up anymore and then it was literally meters meters from the finish line my legs just like gave out like completely gave out and I I was still with it like I, I could it was it was a very weird experience because my mind and everything else was very clear but my body was just shot it was the wildest experience so my legs gave out and I could see the finish line and I was able to get up and I was able to finish the race and then yeah collapsed into a wheelchair and and was dunked in ice baths and felt a lot better <laughs> relatively quick once I got my core temperature down and electrolytes. But like I said, I, I'm super happy that I was able to work through those last few miles because I think that's something that's only going to help me in the future. And it's it's this kind of like weird feeling that you can't quite explain to people. But I think going through it is only going to yeah make me stronger the next time around. Yes, after an unexpected approach to the finish line that found Emily on her hands and knees for a few moments just meters from the line, she did get up and complete her first Olympic trials marathon in a time of 2.27.56 to take ninth place. Places and times aside, however, Emily is coming away from this experience with one clear certainty— in this race, I truly don't believe I could have done anything different to give it my all. You know, you could say, oh, I, I could have gone out slower and then maybe picked people off. Well, yeah, but who, who's to say that my result would have been any different? You know, I, I went into this race saying I want to make top three and the way that I'm going to race this race to give me my best shot is I am going to run with the lead group. I think I'm capable of it. I'm in shape to run around 222. I think that's what it's going to take to make the team. And, you know, if anyone outruns me on this day, then good on them. And I just think that that's what happened. But it's it's not for lack of trying. And honestly, another thing that I um, that I also like noted going into this trials that I was like, goals top three, I want to be top three. But at the end of the day, you know, it's not going to make or break the rest of my year, the rest of my career, only three women get to go to the Olympics in the marathon. And then there's 150 plus other women that, you know, they are going to go on and keep living their lives and, and go after new goals. So I think that was also something that not that it took pressure off, but it also made in my mind, it was like, okay, this isn't the end. This isn't the end. You know, we're going to run this race and then 
it's either going to be, there's going to be two different outcomes. So I think that that's also important to do as an athlete because it can be really scary to be in a race. And when you kind of feel that number one goal slip away to keep going through when you haven't set second, third, fourth level goals. With the trials behind her, Emily is moving on to her next goals. And after a post-marathon break, she's eager to get back to it. And she and her coach have some specific work to focus on. So we think, and I think it's, you know, no surprise that my style of running, my form is very kind of like, quote, loud in a way. I, um, it's just kind of my running form. I just kind of, if you look at me versus some of the other runners, I just like, I have like a lot of like motion. Like I'm just like, it looks like I'm working harder than other people. And I think that that could be true. It's not that I can't, it's like, obviously I can, my body can do it, but we're thinking if I can be more efficient in my form, it will help conserve some of that energy that will, so I won't run out of gas those last bit of miles so yeah we're um we're gonna work on some little things like some core strength and just kind of working on my coach explains it as like the neck to the waist because i'm super powerful like the waist down like all of that like i have no problem with but it's kind of like getting that middle ground and i think if you've read a lot a lot of running coaches are getting really obsessed over this um having like a really strong stable core is what's gonna keep you efficient and yeah that's what's gonna balance out the whole body so that's what we're gonna work on and yeah i'm kind of excited about it because it will give us something different than just like oh we need to run more miles or run faster workouts like no that's all there now it's just this like nitty-gritty little one percent where can we get that And as for what I'm looking forward to next, yeah, I think as soon as one finishes a marathon, your mind is like all over the place. So I think I had like seven different plans that I like texted my coach like within like my week vacation of what I wanted to do. And he's like, okay, let's just like let you think for a good 10 days and then we can get excited for the future. So I am excited to run another marathon and I think I, not I think, I know that I would really love to compete for the U.S. And my next chance to do that would be to make the world team for Tokyo next year. So I'd love to run a fast course and try to get a fast marathon time this fall. So now until then, we are going to shift and we're going to do some shorter races and I love all the road racing communities. So um, yeah, that's kind of the plan. We're going to go race some road stuff. We're going to work on form. We're going to work on getting faster over the 10K and the 5K, which will be a nice change because uh, I was actually just... I ran with my friend Jess on Flagstaff this morning and it, and we all were just so emotionally drained from this trials experience. You know, it's something that you're thinking about for four years. And then the last, I don't know, from fall through like the holidays and then it's just like really emotionally draining. So it feels very nice to just kind of put that in the past right now and focus on something different. 
And that does bring us to the end of Emily Durgan's race report for the 2024 Olympic Trials Marathon. I want to thank Emily so much for coming on the podcast and sharing her story. What an exciting racer. I am really excited to see what comes next for Emily Durgan. And of course, I will link to how you can follow her in the show notes and you can keep up with her running life as well. I'll also point out here that in addition to posting about her running and racing, Emily posts pictures of her dog, Winston, who is super adorable. He also got to travel with her to the Olympic trials. Oh, he is so cute. And of course, I do want to congratulate the top three finishers at the trials. The women who will be going to the 2024 Paris Olympics for Team USA are race winner Fiona O'Keefe, second place finisher Emily Sisson, and third place finisher Dakota Lindworm. Coming in fourth was Jessica Tan McLean, and she will be the alternate in the event that Fiona, Emily, or Dakota cannot race. This finish, like many finishes in the past, was full of surprises. Just a few notes about this. This was Fiona's first marathon. She'd qualified with a half marathon time of 109.34, and that was the fastest half marathon qualifying time coming into the trials. I'm going to point out here that Emily Durgan's half marathon PR was over a full minute faster than that. So it really is an unpredictable race, and Fiona had a stellar day. Not only did she win the race soloing to the finish, but she set an Olympic trials marathon record. Huge congratulations to her. It was an epic performance. Coming in second was Emily Sisson, who, as the current American record holder in the half marathon and the marathon, was an undeniable favorite in the race. But then again, Lindworm was not. By time, she was the 10th fastest marathon runner coming in, but she is a gritty racer and she knows how to race the marathon, and she had a terrific day. Alternate Jeston McLean was, for many people, perhaps the biggest surprise of all. She had been ranked 28th coming into the race, and she clocked a PR of over three minutes on a day when many runners struggled, predictably because of the heat and certainly because of the pressure. And this is why marathons are so exciting. You really never know how they will unfold. And that does bring me to the end of this race report. The next race on the road circuit calendar is the 15K Champs, coming up fast here on March 2nd. A race report for that event will drop a week or two after the race, so please subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss it. I want to thank you for listening. I am Cherie Louise Turner. I am your host and producer. And until next Friday, I do wish you healthy, joyful, confident strides forward. Women's running, running, running. There is no hood like parenthood. When you meet a fellow parent, you just kind of get each other on a whole nother level. Hi, I'm Kanika Chanda Gupta. I'm a former CNN journalist, mom of three, including twins, and host of That's Total Mom Sense, the podcast. I interview change makers on their life lessons, legacy, and superpower of intuition. 
aka their mom sense and dad sense. I've had some pretty amazing parents on my show. Hey, what's up? I'm Kelly Rowland. Hi, this is Chelsea Clinton. It's me, Bobby Brown. Can't wait to share my story. Episodes release every Thursday. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and on YouTube. Join my tribe at thatstotalmomsense.com and follow me on Instagram at Kanika Chadda Gupta. I'm thrilled to be on this journey with you.